Good morning and welcome to Walking with Jesus Through the Word, one chapter per day. I am Pastor Jason Van Bemmel from Forest Hill Presbyterian Church. It's our 774th day together in God's Word, and we're back in the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 2. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you're so good to us. You treat us with grace and kindness and generosity and love day after day. We don't deserve the blessings we receive from your hands, but we're thankful for them. Would you please write 1 Thessalonians 2 on our hearts today? Help us to understand it, to receive it, to see Christ more clearly, and to see our calling as Christians more clearly. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word from us, which you the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your countrymen as they did from the Jews, who both killed our Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and oppose all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to, full, to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope? or joy, or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming. Is it not you? For you are our glory and our joy. 
That is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul has been away from the Thessalonians for a, a period of time. He had planted the church there um, after he had been in Philippi and before he goes to Athens and then to Corinth. He probably writes this letter from Corinth. That's our, our belief. Of, it seems pretty clear that he actually wrote it from Corinth. And we know he was in Corinth around the year 50, from probably late 49 to 50 to 51, for about a year and a half, maybe a little more than a year and a half. And so he writes this letter from Corinth back to Thessalonica. And it's been a little while since he's been there, and he hasn't had opportunity to return. For some reason, he says Satan has prevented them from being able to return back north to Thessalonica while they've been in Corinth. We know that they did have some trouble in Corinth, and then the trouble settled down a little bit, but we're not exactly sure what was the hindrance that caused them uh, not to be able to return to Thessalonica. But Paul is writing this letter, and he wants to encourage the Thessalonians that even though he's been away from them for some period of time, um, and even though he has wanted to come back and hasn't been able to, that he still loves them, and he wants to affirm his ministry among them. Because we know from the early church history and from Paul's other letters, we don't know specifically the circumstances here in Thessalonica, but we know that what happened, and Satan works this way very often, is that Paul would go through and would preach the gospel and would establish a church and would give them a foundation in sound doctrine, but then he would move on relatively quickly because he was a, a church planting missionary who was on the move, often persecuted and harassed and chased out of towns. So he would move on and then behind him, within a year or two, false teachers would come and they would come in behind and they would start to question, start to sow doubt, start to undermine what Paul had taught. We know for sure that happened in Corinth uh, and many other places, but it seems to have happened also here in Thessalonica. And this is part of what Paul is having to uh, combat. Some of the false teaching was regarding the second coming of Jesus Christ, which we'll get to later. But here, when, when false teachers are undermining the, the teaching of the Apostle Paul, they also need to undermine the legitimacy of his ministry. They need to call into question whether or not he's really an apostle or whether or not he, he, he really has the authority and the credentials to be able to plant churches and to do the kinds of things that he does. One of the things we know for Paul is that he worked hard wherever he went so that when he was first planting a church, he wouldn't have to be a burden to them. Well, other people would undermine that and say, well, the guy can't even make his living from preaching. What kind of a preacher do you think he is? If he were an apostle, he would be able to come to you with the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he would be able to be supported by you as a church. But since he wasn't supported by you as a church, maybe he's not really an apostle, that kind of thing. And so that's part of what's behind this language. But also, in expressing himself in this way, Paul is giving all of us a good model for Christian ministry. Not that all Christian ministry should be bivocational and that pastors should work to support themselves so that they're not depending on the church. That's that's not the point. But but the commitment, the the heart, the love, the self-sacrifice, the giving, this is what Paul is modeling here. And it's something that all of us should take to heart. First of all, he uh, he says that he knew that his coming to them was not in vain 
because they had boldness in God to declare the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. So the first sign that they were really sent there by God and that God was working was that even though they've been shamefully treated at Philippi, they come into Thessalonica and they have boldness in God. They, they are free. They are bold. They don't shrink back from uh, declaring the gospel there in Thessalonica. And they're doing so because they're trying to please God. They're not interested in flattering people. They're not telling people what they want to hear. They're not free and bold because they're selling something that they think people are going to buy. They're free and bold because they're serving God and they're pleasing God. And he says, we wanted to please God who tests our hearts. And he says, God is our witness. So that's the first thing for Christian ministry, whether you're sharing the gospel with a neighbor or a friend, or whether you're in vocational ministry. The first thing for gospel ministry is that freedom and boldness to preach the gospel, to share the gospel, to, to speak the word of God comes when we are wanting to please God and not people. And we're not flattering and we're not seeking greed, but we're just seeking to faithfully represent God. And so he says, we were gentle. We, we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. We could have required you to support us, but we were gentle, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. We had an affectionate heart for you. We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also ourselves, because you become very dear to us. We loved you. We cared about you. So this is the other thing. Just because you're trying to please God and not men, just because you're speaking with a clear conscience and with boldness, with God as your witness, and not trying to be a flatterer, doesn't mean that you don't love people or don't care about people. See, this is something we get mixed up in our heads and in our culture a lot. We think that if you really love people, then you'll tell them what they kind of want to hear. You'll, you'll flatter them. You'll, you'll, you'll have your eye open for like, what are they expecting from me? What do they want to hear from me? How can I give them what they want? That's not love. That's not love. And that's what Paul's saying. We spoke to you the word of God. We gave you the gospel. We, we gave you the straight truth. God is our witness. We weren't flattering you. We also weren't making demands of you. We weren't being greedy among you. We loved you. And in love, we wanted you to receive the truth from us. In love, we wanted you to hear what God had to say. And so they worked not to be a burden to you. Verse 9, this is getting specifically into this idea that Paul was a bivocational pastor or he was a laboring tent-making missionary. It's actually the Apostle Paul from whom we get the idea of being a tent-making missionary. He is supporting himself while he proclaims the gospel of God. And he behaved in a way that was holy and righteous and blameless. He was free of flattery, free of greed. And like a father with his children, he says, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. So before he said we're like a nursing mother, tender and affectionate, here, he says, we're like a father exhorting you, encouraging you, and charging you. So there is the tender, compassionate, patient uh, side of, of, of heartfelt ministry. And then there is the strong, steady, encouragement, exhortation, and charge to walk worthy, the fatherly side of this heart for ministry. It's it's the heart of a parent to a child, but it's it's got both the tender, compassionate, patient, um, sympathetic, but also the, the clear and bold exhortation and charge to walk in a manner worthy of God. It's it's 
It's that uh, combination that is really given only by the Holy Spirit who gives you pure, uh, true and sincere love for people that allows you to have that, that mindset. And the fact that the Thessalonians would, would see Paul and, and Silas and Timothy working hard to support themselves and being tender and compassionate, but also being very clear and very bold, and they would receive it and they would say, this is the word of God. That was the work of the Holy Spirit. That was surely the work of the Holy Spirit. You received it as the word of God. You didn't accept it as the word of men, but what it really is, which is the word of God. And, and they thank God for that. They thank God constantly for that because that only God can do that work. You see, we might be able to craft a sales pitch based upon flattery and get people to say it's good, right? Or we might even be able to sort of rail on people about their sin and get them to feel guilty. But in either way, they're sort of looking at us and they're sort of assessing What's this guy selling? Or, or man, this guy is really getting on my case, right? One or the other, but that's not that's not what Paul did either way. He he was he was speaking the word of God with a clear conscience, in the fear of the Lord, to please God, not to please men, no flattery, no greed, no manipulation. And they received it for what it was, the word of God. They didn't look at it and say, oh, this Paul guy or this Silas, this Timothy, they're telling us this and this is their opinion. That's their opinion. No, they're saying these guys were sent here by God to give us the word of God. That is the ultimate goal of every pastor and missionary. It should be Bible teacher is to say that when I'm being faithful to God's word and in good conscience speaking what I believe God's word teaches, that people would receive it as not what I think, not my opinion, not my advice, not my encouragement, but the word of God, because that's what it is. And so one of the signs that this was really what was in their heart was that they soon began to suffer from their countrymen, just like the original churches of Jesus Christ that were in Judea. You see, those who followed Jesus in Judea, they were put out of the synagogue. They were harassed. They were excluded from society. They were they were given a hard time. And now the same thing is happening from the Greeks to the Greeks who were in Thessalonica. And Paul says, this is a good sign that you are a true believer because just like Jesus was despised and rejected by men, so you are being despised and rejected by men. You see, popularity and the applause of the world are definitely not reliable signs that we are being faithful to God. In fact, it's it's the opposite, pretty much. Not that we want to be obnoxious. Again, Paul is not saying you should be rude and you should be obnoxious and you should be self-righteous so that people call you names. No, you simply follow Jesus in sincerity and devotion. You speak the word of God with a clear conscience. You please God without flattery toward people. And people will, in the world, people will hate that. People will not want to hear it. He does single out the Jewish people of this time period and as being those who have who have killed the Lord Jesus and his prophets and driven us out and who displease God and oppose all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So part of what we need to be careful of is that we don't take language like this, which was applying to the Jewish leadership in Judea and in the synagogues around the Greco-Roman world in the first century, right, from the time of Jesus' crucifixion around 30 AD until the time of the fall of Jerusalem around 70 AD. During this period of time, this first generation of the church, 
It was the Jewish leadership in Jerusalem and Judea and in the synagogues that were scattered throughout the Roman Empire. It was the Jewish leadership that was taking a leading role in persecuting Christians, just as they had crucified the Lord Jesus. And that's why he's speaking the truth there. That doesn't mean that all Christians should have resentment against all Jewish people. Not at all. We're all sinful people. We all need the grace of God. We're all made in God's image. And these things were a long time ago. This was 2,000 years ago. So the idea that you would carry a grudge today or somehow be anti-Semitic in your behavior or stance towards you, no, that's just completely, completely misguided. Uh, one quick thing. Some people want to know, I want to know even, what does Paul mean at the end of verse 16 when he says, uh, but wrath has come upon them at last. And the answer to that is we just don't know for sure because Paul doesn't exactly say what he means by that. We know this letter is written around 50 AD. So there was a famine in Judea from around 44 to 47 AD. And um, that's when a lot of Christians were kicked out of synagogues because there were limited resources and they had to decide who they were going to feed and who they weren't going to feed. And so some Christians were being excluded at that time. So this famine was, was maybe part of that. There is a riot or an uprising that happens in Jerusalem that's very short-lived. And there's a massacre that happens around 48 or 49 BC. And then there's the expulsion of the Jews from Rome in 49. Uh, each of these by themselves seems to be too small to really be the wrath has come upon them at last. So some people say, oh, he's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. But that doesn't happen until AD 70. It's going to be another 20 years, uh, you know, from 68 to 72 or whatever. There, So it's, it's still going to be another 20 years. So has come upon them at last for something that's yet 20 years in the future seems a bit far-fetched. But it does seem that you can see the riot and massacre in Jerusalem happening at around the same time as the expulsion of the Jews from Rome. They're starting to be armed conflict between the Roman authorities and some of the Jewish people. And so this is the wrath of God coming upon them at last, which will culminate in 20 years time with the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple and all of that. But it has come upon them at last because now around the year 49, right, right about the time shortly before this letter was written, probably, you have this uprising in Jerusalem, which leads to a massacre of Jewish people by the Roman authorities. And at the same time, about the same time, the expulsion of all the Jewish people from Rome, which is important because if you get kicked out of Rome, you lose a lot of important access and position in society. So it seems like that's the beginning of what then 20 years later will culminate in, in the Jewish wars and the destruction of Jerusalem. Um, but again, this is not verses like this. Historically, unfortunately, Christians have used these verses to, to promote anti-Semitism, to say, see, Jewish people, they always displease God. They always oppose all mankind. They're the ones who killed the Lord Jesus Christ. No, you need to just stop, right? Because that's not why this is here. This is here to tell us that those who oppose God's people, those who target, persecute, harass God's people will be judged by God within time and at the end of time. And that's a sober warning, no matter who those people are. And today, it certainly is not Jewish people who are persecuting Christians, although communists are and Muslims are in many parts of the world. Um, so the last part of this is just um, transitioning into what's in <clears throat> chapter three. 
And that is Paul telling them basically, yeah, it's been a long, it's been a little bit while, it's been a little while since we've seen you face to face. And we want you to know that we want to see you face to face. We want to be um, with you in person, but Satan's hindering us. And, and we love you. Don't, don't take our absence as a lack of love. We love you. You are our hope of our joy or crown or boasting before the Lord. You are because you're the fruit of our labor. You're the whole reason why we're doing this. Yes, for the glory of God. Yes, to please our Heavenly Father. But he's, he's glorified and he's pleased by you and what God's doing in you. And so I love this chapter for that. It's, it's a reminder to me as a pastor that I am called to glorify God and be faithful to him by speaking the word of God in love to the people of God. And I am to love the flock that is under my care. I'm to have the heart of a nursing mother toward them, weak, to be patient and loving and encouraging. But I'm also to have the heart of a father in speaking the truth, speaking it plainly with encouragement and exhortation to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. I'm to have this heart but ultimately, it's not about me telling anybody what I think. It's about speaking the word of God, because the word of God alone is worth speaking and worth hearing and changes lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. That's what we're spending time in day by day, in your word. And ultimately, I don't want this to be my words that are being heard or my opinions, but to be faithful to your word and try to make it clear for your people. So would you please do that for all of us? I need to hear your word too every day. And I thank you for the privilege that it is to be spoken to even as I'm speaking because your word speaks to all of us. So continue to build us up in Christ. Give us love for one another. Give us that tender, warm affection and that commitment and that zealous desire to see one another grow to the glory of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for joining me for 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Tomorrow we are going to go back to Song of Solomon and pick up with chapter 5. I do hope you have a blessed day in the Lord. Mm -hmm.